This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The war in Ukraine. Three very special interviews. For President Putin, the objective of this ongoing war in Ukraine was basically to make Ukraine part of uh, imperialistic Russia. Tuli Dunetin is the Undersecretary for Defense Policy in the Estonian Ministry of Defense. Ina Samanis, Latvia's ambassador to Belarus, says they're watching this conflict extremely closely. There is always concern about it, not only in today. And we'll hear how NATO is helping in the region from Task Force Latvia Commander Colonel Vince Kirstein from Canada. Task Force Latvia was created uh, following the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2014 to have the deterrence effect uh, against Russia here in the Baltics. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On this podcast, we often talk with Ukrainians about the war in Ukraine. This time, we're going to talk with some of the other countries that are helping them, including Estonia and Latvia and Canada. We start with Tuli Dunetin, the Undersecretary for Defense Policy in the Estonian Ministry of Defense. She was in Washington along with the delegation to meet with Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Minister Dunetin, tell us what your purpose here is this time. So we have uh, two uh, main names. Uh, first, um, they, we will uh, meet today with the Secretary of Defense uh, Austin uh, as a part of a bilateral visit to Washington, D.C., and uh, during this meeting, we will have uh, basically two discussion items. The first one is obviously the current situation in Ukraine and uh, how successful the Euro-Atlantic community is uh, in order to provide the lethal aid uh, to Ukrainians. Um, last week we had uh, in Brussels the Ukraine contact group uh, meeting. Uh, many nations provided additional um, proposals uh, to support uh, Ukraine, including uh, Estonia, and um, the discussions today will continue to see what else we can do. And, of course, uh, we will discuss the um, uh, necessity to keep the uh, allied community united uh, as the... Um, Winter is coming, and of course, on the front line in uh, in Ukraine, and the fights are going to be uh, even tougher. Uh, but we need to sustain our support to Ukraine uh, and help them to fight this uh, fight for their freedom and independence. And secondly, I would say, um, of course, we are discussing, you know, the the Russian threat 
to Euro Atlantic security in, in a more uh, general way about the fact that the um, Russia might uh, try to test uh, NATO's uh, unity and collective defense at some point and uh, for deterring Rus Russia not to do uh, any action against NATO, uh, we need to uh, continuously invest in our deterrence and defense posture on the eastern flank of NATO. So we would discuss as well uh, different ways how to increase our defense posture and uh, what could be the different capabilities that the U.S. Uh, could send uh, to the eastern flank. What is or what are the methods to deter Russia? Because nothing has seemed to deter them even since 2007 when Estonia had its confrontation, modern confrontation with Russia. They've continued one way or the other to continue to be aggressive. Are there any ideas on what might be the way to deter Russia today? So I think that uh, when we talk about uh, nature's deterrence vis-à-vis -vis Russia, it has been working so far because uh, Russia has not really tested unity of allied countries uh, in Europe. Um, but of course, we need to continue deterrence at our political level, uh, communicating the same uh, key messages that we will all stand for allied uh, countries' freedom. We will defend every inch of allied uh, territory. And so far, we have been quite successful in that. But of course, this uh, political deterrence needs to be coupled by um, strong military strength. And here there is room to, uh, to make even bigger uh, contributions uh, because um, at the NATO's Madrid summit, we all decided that the current uh, deterrence by punishment push is not enough and we need to move forward. Uh, to defend every uh, country since a possible attack from the day zero, and we cannot allow any restoration war to happen in Europe. So here, we, uh, what we need to do is uh, to increase the, the presence of the Allied troops uh, on the uh, eastern flank, but also from our part, Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania, we need to invest more, of course, in our own defence and increase our own military capability. And finally, I would say, of course, we need to be um, economically strong as well, as Russia is using uh, the electricity and car gas uh, to, to blackmail us. And uh, here we need to increase our vigilance and resistance and resilience of our infrastructure and be very careful in order to avoid any sabotage uh, on our own territories or as we have seen uh, what ha has recently happened in the Baltic Sea region in the Nord Stream uh, against the Nord Stream pipelines. So this is a, one of the ways of the deterrence as well that we need to be more present in our undersea waters as well, uh, monitor what is going, what is happening there, uh, increase our situational awareness, and avoid any further diversion acts, acts or sabotage acts, acts as well. 
After this conversation with the U.S., are you having similar conversations with other NATO partners um, after this, or have you had this same conversation with other NATO partners before? Where does this come in the the trail or the stream of conversations about what to do? Yes, we talk constantly to all allied countries, and basically the Estonian effort is going to the um, nations who are present in Estonia uh, militarily, uh, basically the United Kingdom, who is the framework nation country in Estonia, uh, as part of NATO's uh, force push. So we uh, are having those talks, and uh, in a couple of uh, weeks' time, we will go to London as well to to have uh, serious discussions with uh, Secretary Wallace. And we talk also to our French counterparts, uh, both at the military and uh, political level, uh, and of course, uh, Denmark. And I would underline that... um, Germany plays today a quite uh, big role as well in this uh, enhancement of NATO's push on the eastern flank uh, because they have taken the responsibility for the security of Lithuania and they are really well uh, advancing in in implementing Madrid decisions. So um, all together with big European countries, we we are moving ahead. Can you give me your thoughts as an official from the government of Estonia about this war in Ukraine yesterday. And this has happened so many times since this war started nine years ago now. But yesterday was another day. A young woman, six months pregnant, killed. And it just doesn't make any sense to anyone what the idea is, what the objective is. What are your thoughts uh, about what the objective of this war is? For President Putin, the objective of this ongoing war in Ukraine was since the beginning uh, to remove uh, the Ukrainian government from the power and to, uh, to basically to make Ukraine part of uh, imperialistic Russia. Um, but we also think that this is only the first step in in his uh, strategic uh, objectives. And uh, if we fail today uh, in defending uh, Ukraine, uh, President Putin will uh, reach out and will test uh, Europe's unity also on uh, on allied countries' territories. So he would like to establish uh, zones of influence of Russia in uh, eastern part of Europe. Uh, we will face a very long um, controversy between the Euro-Atlantic community and, uh, and uh, Russia. Not only controversy, but uh, probably the um, confrontation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are really in, in this for a very long goal. So we need to be uh, very careful what we are doing today and not uh, let happen uh, uh, an even bigger war to to uh, escalate uh, in Europe. But when it comes to the sense of this war, uh, it's quite clear that uh, Mr. Putin has decided to use all means to achieve his goals. 
he he's not making any choice between the different means that he's uh, using. And right now he's just terrorizing Ukrainian people and uh, trying to break their moral, moral ground and uh, make as much as harm and violence as possible and just to pay for his uh, strategic intents. Yeah. It's absolutely unfortunate that this is something that is happening today in Europe uh, and we need to stay uh, united against this approach. Thank you, Minister. You're welcome. Thank you for this interview. And from Washington, we go to Riga, Latvia. On the sidelines of the Riga conference, we spoke with Latvian ambassador to Belarus, Ina Semanis, about the issue of Belarus and the war itself and how Latvia is responding. So I am ambassador of Latvia to Belarus, residing in Riga, because I was asked to leave by Lukashenko after uh, after Ryanair, mm-hmm. um, terroristic act from the from, uh, from Lukashenko regime, uh, and it is in in the basis. And uh, but uh, Lukashenko used the case when uh, during the World Championship of Hockey. Um, in Riga, uh, Belarusian official flag was changed to to historical flag, mm. and this was used as a pretext. and And all embassy except administrative uh, diplomat were asked to leave. So today, situation is that I am ambassador of Latvia to Belarus, but covering uh, Belarus uh, from uh, from from Riga. Okay. How are you able to do your work? this way. Can you do it effectively? Yeah, I think I could do. So, because uh, it, it's a modern age uh, of technologies, mm-hmm. it means that I am in the network of EU, EU ambassadors in Minsk. And we have video conferences, signal communication, WhatsApp communication, mm-hmm. um, emails. So uh, we are in a permanent uh, contact. Okay. So um, this is one line. Second, uh, second line, I have been in contact with some other uh, ambassadors who are expelled as me or asked to leave. It, 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 we could use different mm-hmm. terminology. But I am not non grata. That's it. important. important. This is, is, is important, of course. Yeah. So... Um, I am in contact with them. I am in contact with the uh, diplomatic community here in Riga, first of all with uh, our Western colleagues. So, and I am in contact uh, and have communication, cooperation with uh, Belarusian democratic opposition, mm-hmm. for example, in Vilnius. So, uh, and, and of course, uh, I'm doing uh, a lot of analytical work. Okay. Let me ask you this particular question. Um, from your observations, from what you know, do you see Belarus becoming a part of this Russian war in Ukraine, or are they already? Yeah, they are already. Answer is yes. They are already part. So do you see them fighting, actually getting visibly, fight, doing visible fighting, so, such as sending troops to Ukraine? Today, not. No, today we could not see. But, but as you know, and uh, as I think uh, 
generally public knows that uh, Belarus is providing infrastructure from Belarus. There are Russian armies is sending in drones uh, in in Ukrainian territory. There are coming uh, Russian um, aid fleet and and bombing uh, bombing Ukraine, Ukrainian territory. So, um, uh, and in the strategic terms, but we heard yesterday in the conference as well, people are underlined that uh, on the 24th of February, when when was invasion of Russian troops, it was from Belarus. Belarus provided a platform, uh, how to say, basis from where everything everything was done. And politically, of course, uh, uh, Lukashenko regime, is strongly supporting uh, Putin's invasion on mm-hmm. Putin's regime and so on. But it's not hidden. It's not something like conspiracy, no. It's public and very, very, how to say, outspoken. Then let me ask this question. Um, is Lukashenko in control of his own country or is Vladimir Putin? I mean, forgive me if this is a simplistic question, but who runs Belarus now? Yeah, it's, uh, no, it's not a simplistic question. Uh, yesterday it was asked in a special session on Belarus. Uh, answer is that uh, uh, that it, in in many cases, uh, Belarus' uh, um, sovereignty, in this case Lukashenko's uh, possibilities to be to control all these things, are limited. Mm-hmm. But it, it 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 doesn't correspond to all areas, of course. But what what, what we could see, uh, especially. After 2020, August events, that um, uh, uh, Belarus is becoming uh, more and more, how to say, engaged, not totally next, but in- engaged, included in Russia. Yeah. And uh, as you know, first of all, it's a military area. However, of, there are discussions, what about command control systems, because that's a military system. But anyway, in military area, sovereignty is, 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 is really, how to say, here diminished. And, and I think democratic opposition is underlying that here is a question of independence and sovereignty of Belarus as such, because there is, there is a foreign army in. in. So the first area. Second, secondly, economics, yes, that's right. clear. 70, 80% norm of exports is, 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 okay. is Russia. The same logistics, the same transport. So technologies, many other many other areas. So is Lukashenko in in, in control? If you're asking in how to say in in, in public administration terms, okay, right. you, could, you could formulate yes, yes, of course he is controlling his uh, his um, so-called siloviki mm-hmm. uh, stru- structures and 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 and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Here, uh, of course, is enormous Russian influence. But th- to say that that Russians are controlling. Siloaki, Siloaki in Belarus. No, it's not. What's the case? Okay, and the last thing I'll ask you is um, this war in Ukraine, uh, Russia's aggressive activity towards Ukraine and this area. Is there a significant concern inside Latvia that Russia might try some kind of provocation or some kind of action against Latvia? There is always concern about it, not only in today uh, and. Uh, Therefore, we are uh, pay, paying a lot of uh, attention to these issues. And NATO, as yesterday in conference, it was discussed, is paying, and we are we are grateful to our uh, to our g- g- main allies. And first of all, of course, here United States. That you know that the NATO forces here are are enforced, and uh, and uh, and we are prepared 
for for different uh, sit situations. But we know that we, we should work ourselves to demonstrate not to have these provocations. Mm -hmm. That uh, that that to be what to say secure in in uh, in these in these terms. So therefore, it is interesting that if you maybe take a look in in, in Latvian public. Uh, media and so on, you will notice that uh, security of Latvia is the most developed just now. It was not nervous. We were not so secure ever before. Mm -hmm. And now it, it, it's the case. That's, uh, that's in military terms. And in second terms, and that is important, and we have now the new government coming in. And, uh, and one of the important points of agenda, and it was raised yesterday in the conference as well, of course, is to, pay, to, to take a look how society itself is, is prepared, how society, how, how society is feeling the situation. Is it, is it uh, morally monolithic and so on? So um, that's an important thing because not only military aspects, but, but, but uh, resilience and um, strength of society itself um, is important because, of course, th there are different groups, different part of, parts of uh, population, and they have different views. They have dif different geographical locations, and so on, and history. and And we should take take into account all these things. So that that will be, I think, the most honest answer answer to you. Thank you, Ambassador. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Both Latvia and Estonia are NATO countries. They both joined in 2004. Canada is one of the original NATO countries. They joined in 1949. And they are in Latvia as well, helping to protect that country and other NATO countries. Colonel Vince Kirstein is commander of Task Force Latvia. We caught up with him as well at the Riga conference. Task Force Latvia, what is your work entail? So Task Force Latvia is the, is the headquarters for Canada here in Latvia as the framework nation for the Enhanced Forward Presence Battle Group. It was created uh, following the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2014 to have the deterrence effect uh, against Russia here in the Baltics. Okay. Uh, we are responsible for force generating uh, the NATO battle group here. Uh, in this particular region, we have 11 different nations that contribute to the, uh, the battle group. So Canada works with all of those nations to make sure that we've got what we need inside of the battle group. Okay. And how long have you been at this work? So how long have I personally been at it? The team. The team has been doing this. It started in 2015. Uh, and so we have been here since then uh, and have been continuously building improving, adapting the, the battle group to, to really meet the challenges that we face here uh, and to meet adjusting for the terrain, adjusting for the different sending nations' abilities to contribute. Uh, and so we've been doing it since then. All right. And framework nations, how does that work and why is Canada doing this here? So this is an interesting piece with NATO in terms of how they did it. So NATO didn't just reach out and task individual nations, all the 11 sending nations, to go, this is what we need from you, this is what we need from you. What they did was they looked for a framework nation, uh, and it's Canada here in Latvia, to be the lead. And then the framework nation goes out to all of the other NATO members to get the pieces that they need to build what we would consider a standard NATO battle group. 
Uh, and so Canada has done that here, reaching out to all of our partners to go, hey, we need an infantry company from you. We need a tank company from you so that we can put all those pieces together and have a coherent fighting force. All right. So um, how big is your team here in Latvia? And um, maybe you can give me a little bit of an understanding of what a day looks like for your work. Absolutely. So my headquarters here is about uh, is only about 70 people, but the battle group itself currently is about 1,800. Uh, so it's, it's fairly large. Day-to-day routine is, is making sure that we maintain the cohesion of, uh, of the battle group itself. 11 nations, 11 different languages, all types of different equipment, different requirements. What Canada does is work directly with Latvia mm-hmm. to make sure that all of those issues, concerns uh, get addressed mm-hmm. and that we can enable the battle group. So Latvia doesn't have to deal with 11 different partners. They just deal with Canada. The 11 different nations work collectively with Canada, and then we can work back and forth as, as the intermedi- intermediary between uh, or with Latvia. Okay, and obviously with a war going on in Ukraine and with the concerns that Latvia and some of the other Baltic countries have, I imagine that there's a certain sense of urgency that's applied to this mission. Absolutely there is. And I mean, we saw at the Madrid summit, NATO intent to scale or create the battle groups uh, that are scalable up to a brigade level. And so after the Madrid summit, Canada and Latvia signed a joint declaration, a joint statement, saying that Canada would continue to be the framework nation here, but we would scale this up to a multinational brigade. So that's really what our work is entailing today, is figuring out what that's going to look like, who's going to contribute, how we're going to create it, and then what's the time frame for actually generating it. Because dropping an extra 3,000 people uh, here into the base in Latvia is going to require a lot of infrastructure uh, and a lot of development. So we're working directly with Latvia, and this is part of the Framework Nation requirement, is to, we can tell Latvia, hey, this is what we're going to bring. This is what we need in order to support it, sustain it, and enable it. All right, so... um what do you think is the most important element of the work that's ahead of you now looking, okay, you've got what you need established here, you're a framework nation, you're doing the work that you're supposed to do. What is the most important piece of, of I guess, is it readiness that is, 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 is the most important piece looking out towards a week, a month, a year, two years, three years? Absolutely. And so it's threat informed as well. And I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, currently, there's not a lot of not a lot of Russian forces directly on the other side of the border with Latvia. They're kind of engaged uh, in Ukraine. But we're watching that threat very closely, and we're making sure that we are ready as the threat evolves to be able to respond to the threat uh, and making sure we're ready. And and, and it's not just one year. It's three years, five years Mm -hmm. down the road as the, the threat changes, as the war develops and adapts. So the cohesion of the alliance is number one for us. Uh, but here on the ground specifically, it's absolutely readiness and being combat capable so we can deter without a, but prevent an evasion from ever even happening just by our presence here. Do you ever engage with your other framework nation partners to talk about what works, um, share, you know, uh, lessons learned, etc.? Absolutely. And that's uh, I've had both the British and the, uh, the German folks visit us here. And I've been traveling around as well. I've only been in the job for three months. Uh, but also with the new, newly creative, uh, created battle groups in the south, 
Uh, I was in Slovakia uh, about a month ago, and we were trading lessons learned and saying, hey, this is what we did. We found that this worked really well in terms of integration of various nations as part of a collective team. So how does this change? How has this changed what NATO was doing prior to um, these framework nations and this whole process being set up? When the war broke out in Iraq, um, there was this massive movement to bring um, nations together to help with the, that mission. But I'm assuming that the framework nation process is designed to alleviate a lot of those troubles? It is. And uh, it's a collective NATO approach as well. I'm plugged in very, very closely with NATO so that we're all working together. Uh, we don't want to have an individual task force Latvia, EFP battle group plan for how to defend Latvia if it's not integrated across the entire spectrum. So we've got to be linked up with Lithuania, with Estonia, so that there's no gaps. The plan has to be comprehensive. So it's us all working together, uh, the framework nation kind of being the lead, but Latvia as the host nation also has to roll, a role to play in that as well in terms of integrating all of their own national forces into that plan. So it is really a, a comprehensive approach, very, very multinational, multilateral to be able to make it all work and make it make sense. Mm-hmm. What's the most challenging part of this whole process for you and your team? Uh, great question. The, one of the challenges we have is this is very, very exciting nationally. Uh, and with 11 sending nations, we have a lot of high-profile visitors. So honestly, the most challenging piece we have is managing visitor flow, uh, making sure that everyone understands what we're doing, how we're working together, and how we're doing it collectively. Uh, so not, not, a, not a super exciting answer, but, <clears throat> but it's the reality. This, we have a lot of high-profile visitors, presidents, prime ministers, uh, senior government officials, senior military officials come through. And so actually managing and, and being able to explain what we're doing and how we're doing it is, is one of the biggest challenges we face. So how does the, the momentum get maintained for what you're doing? Um, you, you mentioned you've only been in the job for three months. So I imagine there's a pretty s- stiff or quick rotation kind of thing happening here. So the, most of the soldiers on the ground rotate every six months. Uh, I will be in this job for two, uh, two or three years. Uh, and so that's where the, the long-term piece fits in, is we have a large number of the Canadian personnel, large number, about, uh, about 40 of us, who live here in Latvia with their families. Uh, and so that helps with the, the longer-term continuity. Co- continuity. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that really improves our relationship with Latvia. But in terms of maintaining the heat and lights on what's going on here, the Russians are doing that for us. Uh, with what's happening in the Ukraine, the world's eyes are watching. Uh, and so a lot of people who didn't understand what the threat was previously, and this is back home in the United States and in Canada, we're now getting it. The Latvians will tell you that they knew this was a threat for a long, long time. Uh, we're now getting to witness what they were telling us was going to happen. Uh, and so that's why we're here, and that's how the main focus is currently getting maintained. We just need to make sure that we keep that heat and light on it so that our nations, and this is all of the NATO nations, all the European nations as well, all of the nations in the world, as a matter of fact, need to watch what's happening in terms of watching a a, a global power, a nuclear global power, attack a smaller non-nuclear neighbor. 
uh, and we need to make sure that the, the focus stays on that and the geopolitical implications of it. Brilliant. Is there anything you want to add uh, that I haven't asked you about that you think is important? No, uh, I don't think so. I think what we, we need to maintain is our na- national, nation's focus. Our, we need to inform our people what's going on and why. Uh, and the why is always the most important piece. A lot of people have no idea what's going on in this part of the world, and it's our job to make sure that the message gets out and go, hey, this is important for you back in Canada, for you back in the United States, because it has global implications. It's not just a little skirmish happening over here in Europe. This is going to change the political landscape, the geopolitical landscape, for years to come. Thank you, Colonel. You're welcome. Thanks. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode figuring out how long this war will last and what we should expect to happen. I think the scenario of, of, a, war, of a conflict that goes on for some time, that ebbs and flows, uh, that is unresolved, is, is a very likely scenario. Nick Redman, Editor-in-Chief and Director of Analysis at Oxford Analytica. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. What's up, everybody? It's all-star and World Series champ Nick Swisher here, and I'm stoked to tell you about my new podcast, The Nick Swisher Show, right here on Podcast One. If you know me, you know I've worn a lot of hats in my career, and each one of them has had highs, lows, and a whole lot of learning in between. And that's exactly what I'm bringing to this podcast. You're going to get crazy interviews with athletes from their struggles to their successes and all their unbelievable superstitions along the way. You're going to hear from hometown heroes that are stepping up to the plate and making positive change and influences in their communities. I mean, we've got scientists, coaches, comedians. I'm telling you, whether you're an athlete, a parent, a coach, or just looking for a little energy in your life, then Home Plate is right here. It's old school soul with new school vibes. It's the Nick Swisher Show, coming soon wherever you get your podcasts.